Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today we're going verse by verse through the book of John. So turn there in your Bibles as we join Pastor Mike. chapter 3, and this is probably one of the most dynamic chapters in the Bible. Now, it's all great, but this is one where in just this verse, John 3.16, where we left off last week, you could literally spend a whole year just on the dynamics of this verse, because in it, it has all that which Christianity truly is. And so before we read today, let's pray. Father, as we Go to your word now. We just ask you that your Holy Spirit would anoint it, that we would understand it. Father, that we could take it to heart and we could communicate this, not only in our own soul, but also to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 3 of John, interesting. A person that was in the religious leaders of the day named Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. And he was wanting to know all about things pertaining to God. Now, what's interesting is he was already a religious leader. But what's really kind of unusual here is he came to Jesus by night. We talked about this before. Why did he come at night? Well, maybe he's too embarrassed to come in the daytime. Maybe he's afraid of what people might say if they saw him come to Jesus by night uh, or in the daytime. Maybe it was when he got off at work at five. I don't know. But for whatever reason, the Bible notes that it came to him at night. And he begins to ask him questions about being born again. And, and, and Jesus told him that unless a man's born again, he'll not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus scratching his head going, well, do I need to go back and my mom? How does this all work? And Jesus said, no, unless a man's born of the water and of the spirit, he won't enter into the kingdom of God. What is being born of the water? Well, that's the natural birth. This is not speaking of baptism here. It's speaking when the water breaks, out comes the baby. Well, just as there is a natural birth, there is a supernatural natural birth. And that's what Jesus spoke about being born again. Well, when we go to John 3.16, he says, for God so loved the world. Now, I think this is really dynamic because oftentimes people think God doesn't love the world. In fact, foreign religions are always trying to appease their gods by burning incense, cutting themselves, uh, doing various sacrifices, all these things. But God loves the world. He doesn't love everything going on in the world, but he loves the people enough to want to redeem them. Just as any of you, you may have children that don't always do what you want them to do, but you still love them even though they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Well, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This tells us there is a heavenly father in this verse. It also tells us that there is Jesus Christ. For God the Father literally so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. In this verse of John 3.16, it corrects a lot of bad doctrine that is out in the world that people would just read it. Just to go through a few of them. There is the Jesus-only doctrine. There is no Heavenly Father. There is no Holy Spirit. There is just Jesus only. Many Pentecostal, so to speak, Pentecostal churches embrace this theology. It is an error. 
God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. Jesus didn't send Himself. The Father sent Him. Okay? So we want to establish that. The second thing we find, His only begotten Son. There are religions today, as we talked about this last week, that believe Satan and Jesus are brothers. The Mormons believe this. And if you're a Mormon, I'm not trying to offend you. I'm just trying to tell you what your church believes. I have talked to many Mormons that say, our church does not believe that. And I said, go ask your bishop. They come back with a puzzled look on their face to me and say, I didn't realize our church believed that Satan and Jesus are brothers. The word here, only begotten son, means the only one that God ever had. Now, there are those that come along and try to rationalize. Well, we're all brothers of God. We're all a brethren, you might say. That's not what this is talking about. Again, context is everything when you study the Word of God. And so when he says, the only begotten Son of God, it means the only one he ever had. He's uniquely different than anything else. And again, the old 2020 rule. You know, we always say, well, 2020 is perfect vision. Read 20 verses before, 20 verses after. You're going to get a pretty good understanding of what this is talking about. What will completely knock the wheels off of the idea of we're all brothers in Jesus was just, God was just, no, no, no. It goes on. He says that Jesus came from above. So we're going to get into that in just a minute. But we want to look at this because here's the reason why I believe it's so important. Every Christian needs to know how to defend your faith. Most Christians don't know, and unfortunately, a lot of Christians don't care. And those are both really serious issues when we deal with true Christianity. People don't know how to defend their faith. And because they don't know how to defend their faith, sometimes they succumb to the lie that's being told to them. And so, if you arm yourself with God's Word, you will not become a victim of the age. Now he also goes on and he says, send his only begotten son, that whosoever, I love this, there is what's called the Calvinistic theories of Bible um, belief. And Calvinism basically says that God put people on earth to directly send them to hell. And uh, I completely reject that in every way, shape, or form. Now, it is true there are people that are not going to make it into heaven. That's a real tragedy, I think, especially because God provided such a wonderful way that we could escape not only a meaningless life here on this in this world, but also throughout eternity being eternally separated from God. So there's two major issues here. Now, here's one of the reasons why. God knows everything. God lives in all times present. I don't know anybody like that. I, I, I go to the to the store and, and I open the, the the freezer chest or the the icebox lid and on the milk it, it has an expiration date and I remember it was about probably 15 years ago I became very sensitive to dates expiration dates on products before I didn't care I guess maybe I was just you know just yeah it's good eat it you know if it's five years old I don't care scrape the bugs off it's all right. But the point is, is that really when we begin to realize time passing, we become very much aware of it. God doesn't live in time like we do. He lives in all times present. And I don't completely understand that, friends. I don't know how you can live at the beginning, at the end, in the middle, all at the same time, but God does. In fact, we find this in Revelation chapter 22, where part of God's name, it says that he's... Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, first and the last. Those are all present tense, which means he lives in all 
time present. Now, I'm very much sensitive to the time that I live in now. There are time in our lives which make time different than other time in our life. There's probably, if you're older, you probably remember when you heard that John F. Kennedy had been assassinated. I remember right when that happened. I came home from school. My mom was sitting in the chair in the living room crying. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, the president had been shot. And it was just, and I can flash to that as clear as if it happened yesterday. That's called a moment in time, by the way, friends. A chronos in kairos is what that means. But it's a moment in time. It's what makes all other times stand still. And that one thing really stands out. But God lives in all times present. He doesn't live in a moment of time in the past or in the present necessarily, but he lives in all times present. And this to me is really intriguing because I don't know anything or anyone like that, only God. This is why we have what's called prophecy in the Bible. God knows the future before we get there. All the other religious books of the world leave out prophecy. Why is that? Because you can immediately spot a fraud because of false prophecy. Best to just leave prophecy out so that way, well, it's up to anybody's interpretation. The Bible's very clear about prophecy. Who had ever dreamed that Jesus said that Jerusalem would be under Jewish control, first of all, in the last days? Not only many of the cities in those days don't even exist anymore, but Jerusalem is back in control of the Jews. They're speaking Hebrew, just as Jesus said. Only God knows that. Who would ever dream that the, that the fault, uh, that the, that the Antichrist, the false prophet, would institute a global, uh, system of buying and selling with numbers that you won't be able to buy or sell unless you have the mark, the name, or the number on your hand or on your forehead? up to the advent of computer technology and microchip technology, that would have been impossible. The Bible says the two prophets that are in the streets of Jerusalem warning the people not to take the mark of the beast and and tell people about who God is. The Bible says they, after their testimony is completed, they lie dead in the streets of Jerusalem. And the whole world sees them. Up to the event of satellite television, that would have been completely impossible. Now we know that's almost expected now. We're very much aware of it. So God lives in all times present. And friends, the reason why that is so important is because God ultimately knows who will choose him and who won't. Now, just because God knows the choices that you and me will make does not stop you and me from making those choices. This is where the air of hyper-Calvinism comes in. And basically, rather than following Christ in the Bible, these people identify with a man. Anytime somebody identifies with a man rather than the Word of God, when somebody says, well, I'm a Calvinist, or I'm an Arminius, or I'm, I'm a Presbyterian, or I'm a this, or I'm a that. I'm a Christian. I follow Christ. I don't follow a religious order or an individual or anybody else. We believe what we believe because this is what the Word of God says. Now, here's what's important about when we believe the Bible. We want to look, when we ever find a subject in the Bible, we want to look at all the verses that pertain to it. This is how cults are started when they look at only a verse, a fragment of a verse, or a thought, and build a whole theology upon it. 
And this is why you need to be balanced in your relationship with God. That's why you need to know the entirety of God's Word. That's why Isaiah says when we study God's Word, line upon line, precept upon precept. The line upon line is simply reading as we're doing today. The precept is understanding what the text is bringing out and all the way through the Bible so we don't go off on tangents. And this is the problem that we find in Christianity today. And so we find that, again, uh, well, it's a shame, it's a sin for a man to have long hair. Uh, uh, I remember that pretty pronounced, and up to just a few years ago, I had a ponytail, so I don't even know where it went when I cut it off, but it's somewhere. But the point is, is that, first of all, Corinthians chapter 11 is where they get that from. The Bible doesn't say it's a sin, and it says it's a shame if a man has long hair. But then the question is, what is long? If I saw a guy with his hair dragging in the dirt, I'd say, that's a shame. But that doesn't mean it's a sin, the Bible says. And in those days, it was very common for men to have hair down their shoulders or whatever. It wasn't an issue. But here's what's important. They read that, or women must have their head covered when they're in church. That's also in Corinthians chapter 11. And so they have, and you see the ladies come in, they got their little doily on there. And if anybody has a doily on their head today, it's okay. I'm just making a point here. But if you read on a few more verses in chapter 11, it says, If anyone seems contentious or argumentative over these, we have no such customs, nor do the churches of God. Isn't that weird? It says it's not a sin, it's a custom. There's a lot of customs that we have, as an example, in America that you wouldn't want to do overseas in other cultures. Again, I've shared this before. It is extremely rude if you're from the Orient to let someone see the bottom of your feet. So if you sit and you cross your legs like this and you're in a meeting, that's highly rude if they can see the bottom of your feet. Now, it's just different cultures that we do that. If anyone seems contentious over... A person having long hair or a woman having her head covered, if anyone's contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. That's where the line upon line comes in. So we don't go off on tangents, but we remain balanced in what we're doing. So when we look at this, His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him, that doesn't mean the predestined ones. It means whosoever. Anyone can receive Christ. Well, you know that God put people on earth just to send them to hell. That is not what the Bible teaches. And so you know how to need to know how to defend your faith when somebody comes along and says things like this. That whosoever believes in him. Now the word believe doesn't mean to simply acknowledge. We've talked about this before. The demons believe, the Bible say, and tremble. That doesn't make them them right with God. The word believe here means put all your faith, hope, and trust in him. He is your lifeline. I've used the illustration before of ropes. Now, when you say, I believe that's a rope, it can be coiled up, it can be laying there out in your yard, and you go, wow, that's a rope. I believe that's a rope. Is it a rope? Yes, it is. But now, if I was going to rappel down the side of a hill with it, would I say, I believe that's a rope? No, I'd say, I believe that's a rotten rope that's been sun-rotted, and I wouldn't trust that any farther than I can pick it up. 
Why? Because there's a difference between acknowledging something exists and putting your faith, trust, and hope in it. That's what the Bible talks about. He who believes, put your faith, hope, and trust in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Now again, why is everlasting life important? Because we're all dying. Do you know that? You, you look at that, you go by the cemeteries out here, and there's a birth date and a death date and a little, little mark between. That little mark is your life. I thought, how tragic, a little line that long is your life. Born, you know, December 31st, 1952, died, blah, blah, blah. And there's a little line. That little line's your life. All the things you ever did on that little line. I look at that and I go, wow, I wonder if the people will realize when they were living if th- their life was going to be summarized and, 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 and uh, encapsulated in a little line for everybody else to see. You know, down in some, Southern California, they actually have live uh, funeral or a live grave uh, plots. <laughs> this is true. You go along and there's a button with a thing sticking out of the ground and you push the button. Hi, my name is Bill. I'm dead now, but I wanted you to know what kind of a life I... And I'm serious. They have a self-narrated coffin. And I go, wow, that is weird. You know, somehow that that... See, immortalizing a person is not is not telling people your story. Immortalizing your person is one person did to have his name paged in a, in a large hotel every hour long after he was dead to keep his name alive. But it's what God thinks of us. And that's what's important. What does a person that's dying need? Life. An everlasting life. I've talked to people that say, I don't need everlasting life. I hate the one I've got. I feel like jumping off the bridge. Well, that's a problem, isn't it? You see, because of lacking purpose. Every one of us need purpose. If you don't have purpose, you're not going to, to live long. There's three things we all need. A reason to live for, a faith to live by, and a self you can live with. There's a lot of people that don't like living with themselves. That's why they get stoned and loaded. Because that alters them enough that they can be in another reality. You need a faith to live by. What makes you tick? Why do you get up in the morning and put your feet on the ground to start a new day? And you need a reason to live for. What's your reason today? See, these are all reasons that we have to look at. Well, again, God sent His only begotten Son. And those that says you won't perish, but you'll have everlasting life. Oh, this shell's going to go. Unless the rapture comes and it's transformed, but our shells are going to go. And uh, as I get older, I, I see the need for that. But you know, you're going to get a body that doesn't hurt someday. You you don't have to be in your 40s or 50s to to have pains and aches. I've talked to people in their 20s. Well, I've talked to some some of the guys that I know that were in the rodeo crowd. Man, those guys, 22 years old, they're they're crippled up as somebody that's 90 years old. They've been so many broken bones and all those kinds of things. But you know, we're going to get a new body that doesn't hurt. The Bible says, and we'll have everlasting life. A reason to live for. A faith to live by. A self you can live with. These are all so important in our lives. If we lack any one of them, we're going to find ourselves imbalanced in this life. Well, then he says in verse 17, 
God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The word condemned here means to fully judge. Jesus did not come into this world to fully judge the world, at least not yet. He made a provision for us to be redeemed to the master's side. Isn't that great to know that God didn't want us to be orphans, but he wanted us to be redeemed to him, that we would have everlasting life, a life worth living, and not be condemned. Who condemns us, the Bible says? The Bible says Satan does. And this is a real problem because if you don't have Christ in your heart, you're going to walk around being condemned. And the reason why, we are. Why is that? Because we know we're guilty. Notice he says, He who believes in him, in verse 18, is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Wow. Says they're already condemned. Why? Because we're born in sin. Again, I've shared this before. When we sin, it doesn't make us sinners. When we sin, it proves what we are. We're sinners by nature. That's why it's so easy. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to sin? It's because we already have an automatic bend for it. And yeah, that could be fun. You know, and we go off. But you know, God's got a better way. And here we find that the condemner is the devil. He's the one that started the condemnation back in the garden. And he's the one that reminds you that you're lost and you're worthless. This is why people who need Jesus get everlasting life. Because the devil seems to spend overtime on trying to make people either fill themselves with pride that they're so uh, invincible, they're never going to die, or that you're so worthless, why don't you just go jump off the bridge? See, that's the way the enemy works. The enemy's clever. And he knows how to attack you. In fact, the Bible says... Our adversary, the devil, goes about as a roaring lion, Peter says, seeking whom he can devour. He studies you to find out how he can get to you, how he can hurt you, how he can remove you from what God wants you to do. Notice he says, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You ever notice that a bar is dark? (laughs) You know, I I mean, it's crazy. People love darkness. Now, it's speaking of spiritual darkness here, but it also transcends into the physical world. Thank you for joining us on It's Time, as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com slash it's time. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thank you for listening and tune in next time for It's Time.